Welcome to High ISO, the photography and business podcast, where we talk about life as a professional photographer. I'm Robert Hall, an editorial photographer from Michigan. And I'm Justin Haugen, a wedding and portrait photographer from Arizona. So Justin, how's your week going so far? Going good, man. Uh, I feel like I'm having a hard time jump starting the the work here. I before we left for WPPI, I got caught up on all the stuff that I was working on, and right now I don't have any pressing deadlines. And it's a weird space as a photographer to be caught up because I feel like I don't know how to use my time to the best advantage. Like I should be working on uh, new website layout, new um, new portfolio content for my website, and and I'm doing some other writing for like SLR Lounge or some things that I'm working on. And I just feel like I don't know where to begin and I don't know how to like get back on track because I have all this excess time. Like I need some uh, deadlines to get me moving in the right direction because I feel like I'm not working my best unless there's some kind of pressure. But uh, what's going on with you, man? You know, I've, I've experienced the same. And I think the more I kind of diversify my craft, the more difficult it is to get started on anything. I feel like when I was simply... It seems simple now, even though it was always uh, very taxing in the process. But when I was just focused on wedding photography, looking back, it felt easy. And now that I kind of create content on YouTube and diversify with things like this podcast, as well as writing and the studio, I just feel like it's kind of there's always something to do, but it's hard to determine what's uh, what's the best use of your time. Yeah, I spent I spent most of today working on a new live stream setup that I'm building within my studio. I've been familiarizing myself with uh, more, much more advanced levels with you know audio equipment, production gear, multi-camera setups, and live broadcasting, editing. Uh, it's, it's pretty fun what I've actually built in this studio. I feel like I, I've it's like a tool that not many type people really have, and I'm really excited to kind of get it to work. And today was kind of the final day where we like wrapped it all up and had a really successful dry run. So I think I'm just gonna go for it, and sometime next week start with the first actual uh, full live stream. That's cool. Why did you think about going this route with your content? Like what's the value added for your your member base that are the people who are following you? Well, I think I discussed in, this, in the episode where we discussed about why we started a podcast and that there's an infinite depth to photography. And no matter how detailed I am and thorough in the content that I make, ultimately there's still questions to be left. So I felt like live not only lets people see in more depth, but in addition to that, people can ask questions live and we can address it or we can uh, create comparisons live. So if somebody has a question like, why does that softbox, you know, what does that soft like softbox look like in comparison to another? Then we can display it visually, like right then and there. So I just feel it's like a instant gratification to the people who need that type of content um, and are willing to, you know, sit through the the content and watch that to gain from it. I know it's not going to be for everyone. A lot of people want the digestible stuff that is really quick and answers their question. But I think this will be helpful to a completely different group of people. Aren't you worried about like the live aspect of it and like fucking up on on air? Oh yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I don't know. At the end of the day, like people gotta accept that it's live, and you know, I'm not I'm not trained in broadcast or you know I'm not a TV like live analyst or anything like that. And it's gonna be a some serious growing pains. And if you watch my videos, there are a lot of jump cuts. But I do think that when you when you do go live, you kind of alleviate this pressure, this ability to cut, 
right? So if I if I screw up a sentence very mildly in one of my YouTube videos, I go, I instantly run it right back. But with live, you don't have that. So if you, you know, fall on your words or anything like that, you just make the correction and, and move on. So I think ultimately, I think it'll actually be better for me because I'll I'll be training that tool instead of the edit tool, right? I'll be training yeah. myself to go for like longer, longer durations live without having errors and kind of create that cyclical type of thinking where you constantly have to have your your next point made up in advance. Yeah, I think as a viewer, I tend to forgive like I forgive things when they're when they're live. Like I don't I don't get too focused on like if the content is perfect and if the person is struggling. I tend to forgive it a little bit because of the nature of live recording. And I think I have to remember that when I'm live that there is a little bit of like forgiveness in the part of the viewer. I don't know. I think I feel more pressure when we do this long form discussion on on our podcast here. Like I feel this this pressure to not mess up because I want to do it so well in one take that we don't have to edit a lot of things and make more work for you. So I feel like maybe this is even more pressure than a live format. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely right. That's kind of that's kind of what I'm thinking about the whole time. And if there's, you know, if there's this little air, we think about the mental notes of it. And then you think, oh, do we go back? Do we go back? But I don't know, ultimately, just going going live and going for it, we'll get we'll get the forgiveness that we need, you know, and if there's a very big air, then then we can recover that. Yeah, I saw the little bit of preview you showed me earlier today, and I thought that was pretty cool. Like, it's definitely a really neat way to engage with your audience live and and show the material on the fly. I think I think it really brings like the classroom environment to the viewer, and it's not so there's no like preconceptions about it. Like, you don't. It's not like perfect. You're not cutting things. You're not trimming it for. Like, I feel like you have to maximize the efficiency of the communication you're doing to get across your points within that format. So you engage the audience and you keep them like, it's like teaching live. So I think, uh, I think it's a really, really cool thing you're doing there. I'm I'm excited to see where you go with that format. I think more than anything, the thing that I'm excited about it is it's going to, it's going to show off why being familiar with the aspects of lighting that I'm always talking about is really beneficial to your work because we're constantly seeing these finished products in photography and we really don't know the process behind going through them. So we don't know if somebody spent, you know, an hour just to get that lighting set up right. And that might be something that is completely unobtainable to do for a working client versus like things that you can do repeatable over and over quickly, uh, what you can actually produce, you know, with your mind in a very quick and efficient manner. So I think it'll, it'll kind of highlight how I benefit from under, having that understanding of lighting and you know maybe encourage other people to to dig deeper and get that familiar with it as well. Yeah, I think that's a good segue into our show topic today. Um, none of that sounds easy to me and it definitely requires years of like, obviously we're at a point now in technology where the technology is finally caught up to some of the things that we wanted to see happen uh, in our industry. And now we can like do these kind of things. It wasn't easy before it required a lot more expensive equipment and access to it all, which we didn't have. But uh, yeah, what's that we want to talk about? What's the hardest genre in photography? That topic of conversation came up in your group the other day. And it was it was actually like a really bad question because it didn't have (laughs) it didn't have any like qualifiers like this person just threw out a what's the hardest genre of photography, which is such a like that's a lot to unpack. But I, th- I think you you jumped on it right away as like a great show idea. And I think it, it is an excellent topic to broach here today. Uh, and we've got other ways to talk about how hard, uh, like the different facets of 
of difficulty in different genres of photography. So we got a lot to talk about here today. So let's start with um, physical effort. What do you think is the hardest genre of photography in terms of physical effort? I do think so. I, I want to bring up real quickly that in in the group, in the photography gear chat group, the person who asked the question, it was in poll fashion where you could kind of add other ones. And uh, let me do some some quick math here of about 50, 55 uh, responses to it. We had 43 that said wedding. And so you're talking like 80% just like went wedding. Now there were a lot of like qualifying comments and stuff down the road, but yeah, the, that's what the general consensus is. And you see that a lot in groups. You see people discussing and, and just saying how hard, how difficult wedding photography can be. And I do think in this, this first qualifier, the hardest genre in terms of physical effort, I do think that weddings are probably number one outside of some extremely niche thing like rock climbing photography, right? True. Yeah. I, I, I'm really not going to call that because that's building that's building a photography brand around a niche interest, and I really don't mm. think if we if we included those type of topics, we would never get through this because we could constantly come up with things like I'm sure you know photographing like long marathon dog running <laughs> would be difficult too, like you know huskies in the winter like that's got to be grueling but yeah. those are so niche that you can't really include them in this conversation but i do think weddings are probably one of the most stressful in terms of on your body and uh how do you feel about that especially since you're you know so enriched in that industry yeah and and i think in turn if you asked a rock climbing photographer if they wanted to photograph weddings they would probably say no <laughs> which i think is all we need to know about about our industry. And um, I, I think I see constantly a lot of people who who are vested pros in other genres of photography constantly saying, oh, I don't like doing, I won't do weddings. Like they talk about weddings like it's like a plague and they don't want to catch it. So uh, I think definitely like overall, like the overreaching um, aspects of wedding photography, that that wedding is definitely, wedding is it. Like it's it's physically demanding, it is mentally taxing, and there's a lot of transfer of like energy in photography, in wedding photography. And what I mean by that is like, I constantly am reading the room and I'm gathering, like I'm doing like a mental profile of what's going on in the room, like negative energy, who's happy, who's upset, who's passive aggressive, who is threatened by my presence. Like there's a lot of that going on and you're taking like a mental stock of like the room. And so as I'm moving about, I'm, I see this transfer of energy going on a lot of, and like negative energy is like a big thing to me. So if I, if I sense that people are in the room who are bringing down like my, the bride or groom, I'll, I'll do what I can to like isolate those people away from the groom or bride. And I, I've taken whole wedding parties out of the room and just to give them a pep talk and like, listen, like you mean well, but I've got a bride in there who's on the verge of tears and I can't photograph a bride who's crying for the wrong reasons. So um, yeah, I, back to physical effort though, like weddings, like weddings encompass, they, they require so much of my attention. It requires so much of my attention, my physical, like ability to move about a space quickly and quietly, uh, lifting, like wearing equipment, like wearing your gear all day long. And, and then like the repetitive nature of like taking several thousand frames of images throughout the day, like, like certain bot, like repetitive motions make my elbow hurt, um, I'm getting that kind of physical fatigue. Uh, my knees are getting sore from when I bend down a lot. Like there's a lot of like things that are happening to my body now that I didn't feel like eight years ago. 
that I'm feeling now. So I think like weddings are a real easy genre of uh, photography to target in terms of physical effort on um, uh, like as far as like what we're doing physically. So weddings used to be extremely difficult for me, uh, maybe four, well, about five years ago now that I think about it. And at the time I was much more overweight. I'm still a little overweight, but at the time I was significantly overweight. And something that changed that for me was not only losing the weight, but my wife at the time transitioned from the industry of uh, interior design to becoming a personal trainer. And so with that and kind of learning how the body moves and commenting on how I move, we kind of identified like a lot of ways that I was moving improperly and just kind of going to the gym with her and stuff like stupid stuff that, I mean, it seems so silly now, but like when I used to squat down to the ground to take a photo, I'd, my heels would completely leave the ground and I'd be like on my toes. Whereas now, you know, I've got a foot planted, planting that energy through there and uh, I'm bending more and and taking that. And if I need to, if like that's exhausting, then I'm just going down on a knee rather than like just taking that really awkward um, spot, which is terrible for your posterior chain. So there was a lot that I learned that really helped how my body felt after a wedding, which was just learning to move correctly. So I'd encourage if you've got like back pains as a wedding photographer or something like that, you take a look, talk to somebody who, who really knows their stuff that can kind of coach you through some better ways that you can move throughout the day to reduce that fatigue. Yeah. And I think all, a lot of it now, as far as like where I'm at with my, how I manage those kind of, that, those kind of aches. And like it, I think we've talked a little bit about uh, changing shoes during the middle of the day and, and some of the other, other topics we've covered. And, and it's also like I'm managing physical pain, physical wear and tear better by I'm like the type of products that support my, my goals on wedding day, the work I'm doing. So I'm using things like the hold fast money maker to manage to, two um, cameras at the same time. And I've also learned recently, and I was, I'm always really happy to go to WPPI because uh, Matthew Swaggart, the owner of the company, he's really active in terms of like meeting with people and letting them know like how to best use the products. And I told him about an issue I was having with the product as far as like it kept sliding back down my back. And I was like, and it was all about fitment. And I was realized I was wearing them incorrectly and I, and I wasn't tightening down the straps uh, enough to mitigate some of that movement and when i did that it changed the center of gravity where the cameras hang and it felt better on my back so i just realized a lot of this stuff is like it comes down to fitment and proper usage and then i'm also using the hold fat or the the spider uh spider belt or what's it called the spider holster yeah spider holster and i'm using that thing um for like the first part of the wedding day because I'm only going to shoot one camera. I It's not as high paced of shooting. So I shoot one camera and I have a lens bag to swap out. So that mitigates a lot of like the the shoulder stress that I'm holding, carrying on my body with two cameras. And I can just walk around with one one camera and using that holster. And so I, I go back to that at the end of the wedding day. So I'm doing like different things to manage some of the stresses on my body physically and then uh, switching shoes midway through the day because it feels like new pillows for your feet every time you switch shoes on a long wedding day. So a little like those little things are going a long way to manage the wear and tear in my body. And I feel like it'll help with my longevity long term as I as I continue to get older and my body starts to wear down more. Yeah, for sure. Now, I think there's like I, I do agree. We're both in agreement that that's the hardest in terms of physical effort. But what do you think it's also the hardest in terms of like general stress, like mental stress? Yeah, I think I think so. I think uh, 
I don't know how like introverted people do this. I don't know how people like I think you'd have to have a real photojournalistic point of view where you don't engage with your uh, with your subjects at all. And you just kind of photograph what's going on. I just can't imagine not being into the activity of like the people and the transfer of energy. And like, I want, I'm just curious how introverts handle that. Like as a person, and, and I wasn't good at this at first, like I'm sure you weren't either, but learning how to manage people, manage energy, manage schedule. Like there's so much minutia, like the all, and I, I would, I think I would love to talk about an episode dedicated just to wedding workflow, like the before, during and after, but that, that kind of stress is it's, it weighs on you. I think after the end of a wedding day, like I'm really wound up and I have a hard time going to sleep right away because my mind is still actively um, like my mind is very active after a wedding. Like I'm not I'm physically exhausted, but mentally active after a wedding. How do you feel after a wedding? Um, Yeah, quite similar. I definitely can't go right to bed after a wedding. It takes me quite a few hours to wear down. And I, like my wife always laughs about like me kind of coming in to say, hey, when I get home from a wedding and it's like 1130 and I've been on my feet for 10, 12, 13 hours or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm still like, yeah, I'm going to go copy these files and uh, make sure I get them backed up and everything. Like part of it's just the anxiety of the files, like still being only on SD cards, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, but, but the other part of it is like, even, even if they were instantly done when I got home, like there was none of that. I, I still don't think I'd be able to sleep because I'm I'm thinking about I'm thinking about the day and just like the the levels of energy throughout it. So yeah, it kind of wears on me for a while. But I'm I'm not positive that I think that it's the hardest or, or the most stressful um, form of photography. I personally think that I think that it would at least be the worst for me um, is conflict photography or oh, maybe even just general documentarian photography like. I think I think that has to be the most physically grueling just because of or I'm sorry the most mentally grueling and stressor just because of like the nature of the type of things you see. There's a photographer that I was watching a video on recently and he was talking about PTSD and how he struggled through living cuz he went through all the conflict photography. I think it was on Vice. I was watching on Vice and he maybe was a Vice correspondent and he had been struggling with PTSD. So he did, they did a whole episode on PTSD and conflict. And he was a, I think he, I don't think he was a photographer, maybe a journalist, but uh, yeah, I can't imagine the kind of trauma and stress. And like, I can't imagine walking around with that kind of residual stress from my job. Like, I mean, I think you've, I think every wedding photographer has had a dream where something went wrong on their wedding, on wedding day. But that pales in comparison to the idea of like, living through conflict or carrying that kind of stress around you. So yeah, I have to agree. And my, that wasn't even on my radar, but is that would we consider that a niche form of photography career or is that a mainstream? Yeah, that was my only hang up about it. Like I'm, I'm trying to find it. I do. I think it falls somewhere in between. Like, obviously there's many more wedding photographers than there are um, conflict photographers, but I don't know. It still seems like a, a, a quite a prevalent industry. I don't know if it's maybe the nature of the images that make it stand out so much, but you know, I think it's somewhere in between rock climbing photography and wedding photography. Yeah, I think that's definitely more of a a secular side of photography and and journalism. Like, I just don't know any. I like I can't within like two or three people in my circle, I can't think of like the connection I have to anybody in that realm of photography. And if we did, that'd be really, they'd be a really cool guest to have on the show. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, uh, if we're not counting that one, then I could 
see inside with uh, wedding photography being the most stressful in that terms, um, yeah. just because of like the the different tolls that you take on. You know, you're taking on physical stress, mental stress, and uh, dealing with really high emotions on that day. So, yeah, I might and, agree with that. And while this might be more of the top like five percent of our industry, like I think like high end commercial photography, uh, the type of work where you have a lot of uh, photography, where you have a lot of like assistance on set and there's a lot of production going on i think that would be stressful in terms of like to break into because if uh like how do you have that experience unless you're on set or have been a part of a set and then like how do you figure out how to manage and run that like i think i think like a lot of it's got to be bullshit for the first for the beginning of it where you're just kind of figuring it out and you're probably hiring the right amount of people to have on set to make it look like you're capable of what you're doing like there's got to be a lot of like faking until you make it in the beginning, but how do you, how do you like, that's going to be stressful, like managing all the, the nuances of an entire professional photography set. Man, I feel like if you gave me like three weeks to train a crew, I could transition into that so easily, but like, I would really need the people. Like I, I feel this is my position on assistance is like, I don't ever anticipate an assistant is going to stick around more than six months without running and doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's never worth the energy to kind of train them into the workflow of how I like things to be done. But if I had that guarantee, like in my, in my back pocket that people would be down for that for long term, and I could train people in that manner, man, I would love it. Like I'd have hand signals for like specific lighting setups and, you know, just having a team designed around something like that. The efficiency could be incredible and and the results could be incredible. I think that would be so fun to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I do imagine that a lot of people are just like, yeah, this is what we do. And then all of a sudden are scratching to find assistance the first time that they actually book it. Yeah. Well, I want to I want to circle back to physical effort, though. And and I wanted to talk about this. Like I, I started in automotive photography and I feel like there's some overlap with sports photography. I've been trackside at some of the big, uh, bigger racetracks. Like I've been at uh, Phoenix International Raceway up in Phoenix and I've uh, I've been to basically what amounts to a NASCAR type events and I and I and while I didn't even have like the gear that you you would need to cover those kind of events like the full scale of it like a 300 or a 400 but I've seen up close what a lot of those guys carry and usually it's a lot of a lot of people like who don't look like they want to carry a lot of gear around and they're lugging like several, you know, two or three bodies, massive lenses. And I I feel like sports photographers and automotive photographers, like, I feel like they're like the worst at managing all of the gear they have. Like, I don't care like how how many pockets your vest has, like there's gotta be a better way to carry around that amount of gear. They always look like, uh, they always look a little disheveled and that they've got just way too much gear going on. But I think like Sports photography is another one of those, like that's a physically taxing job because you've got to move around up and down the sidelines. If you're photographing football, you've got to manage different lenses, different cameras, uh, lifting and physically moving about. So I feel like sports is another one. Have you ever shot any sports photography or know anybody in that realm? I've never shot it at a high level. When when I was kind of first getting into wedding photography, I'd fill my winter with uh, shooting hockey. And we did we did a lot of like the AAA. I might be botching like the, the categories. I'm not a massive sports fan, but like I think it was like AAU hockey. So like travel hockey. And we did like the like the 16 year olds who are kind of in the, the pro league system. Right. So like the, the Red Wings team, but it's like still 16 year olds. Yeah. Um, inter- so it was like the high level youth hockey 
But no, I didn't find it. I found that boring, but that just might be hockey. I, I wasn't moving around much. Um, we didn't have to use two masses of massive of lenses. You know, you can get away with 300 there and it's on a monopod all day. Um, yeah. I, I found those to be like long days. In fact, the most running I did was getting from one rink to another. Yeah. So I, I didn't share that experience, but I definitely wasn't doing it at a high level to know the differences. Yeah, I think I think there's varying degrees of it, though. But like if you're like a, a full day at the racetrack, like those are pretty hard days. And I wasn't even carrying around the big stuff. But I think I think that kind of broaches on on physically demanding work as far as like the effort of moving around. I like can imagine if you had to walk around with two or three uh, full size, like one DX Mark twos or or D fives and a 300 and a 400 and a 7200 and a 20. Like, I think that's a lot of gear to manage if you're carrying it all. And I've seen pictures of sports photographers wearing all that gear, which is hilarious. If I think back to like the most physically grueling day I've ever had as a photographer, it actually wasn't in weddings. It was in uh, doing music. There's uh, the big popular like alternative rock, punk rock, whatever you want to call it, uh, music festival called Warp Tour. And it mm-hmm. came through Detroit and it was about like 105 degrees and it was at a place called the the Palace of Auburn Hills, which is where the Detroit Pistons used to play, which is just, you know, the parking lot. It's just concrete. So you've just got that all that light like bouncing back up. And then you add the bodies. You add all those people's bodies on that day, cramping people into tight crowds and stuff. I drank more water than I ever have in my life and I lost more weight than I ever had in my life. It was just constantly sweating my entire shirt was soaked but then on top of that you're running around stage to stage uh, you have a mix of lenses from like close-ups when you're right in there but far as well if you're like just approaching you might want to get somebody on the opposite side of the stage and have a longer lens um, so you got a mix there but it was so physically grueling because of the nature of the crowds like people were getting thrown over into our barrier so i got kicked in the head probably 25 times that day <laughs> And so at a certain point, like you're just like worn down from just getting like smacked with like cups full of water and like <laughs> boots flying in the air, clothing is flying and physical bodies are smacking against you. Um, and it's all them just having a great time and you just happen to be in the middle of it. And you're the only thing in between them and the thing that they love most in that moment. Right. So uh, I, it was super interesting, but that had to be like my most physically grueling day in photography. I tuned out for a minute. You said that was a wedding. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of sounds like a Jewish Orthodox wedding. I probably take about as many many body checks on a Jewish Orthodox wedding as I did that day. You're getting kicked in the head when they're doing the horror. Yeah, yeah, man. Those those guys are flexible. That's funny. Yeah, man. That's it is. It is. You get jostled around quite a bit during the horror. It's pretty funny. I just love. They have like no regard. Like if you're in their way of 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 their dance. It doesn't matter, man. You're getting ran right into. And I, I love being in the middle of that environment. And that's why whenever somebody asks me about like hold fast versus spider, I'm like, dude, I have to have a hold fast because I do these Jewish Orthodox weddings or there's a lot of Eastern European, Middle Eastern cultures that have uh, similar energetic dancing. And I'm like, I get in the middle of that. And I've had the camera jostle from my hand multiple times. Mm. I had a, somebody had a flaming pin once, like a juggler. I got smacked. My my camera lens got smacked with a flaming pin. That's pretty wild, man. That sounds like Warped Tour. Yeah, it's close. I'm trying to think of like other other genres of like what's a hard like physically demanding photography jobs, and they're probably more fringe things though. Like like I imagine like being a National Geographic wildlife photographer or vet photographer. Like if you're out in the you know on 
the Serengeti Sahara you know? Desert. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then like you're you're waiting, you're waiting. Like some of those guys will wait like a like several days to catch the one perfect shot of a cheetah, like looking at the morning sunlight as a as a falcon flies behind. Like there's just so many ridiculous photos out there. Like the timing of it all, and then the anticipation and the waiting, and and then getting there, like. That's but again, that's fringe stuff. Like that's like one percent of our photography industry, probably even like less if you think about all the total uh, freelance and or um, nine to five photography jobs out there. Like being National Geographic photographer is probably like the point zero zero one percent of the of the yeah. field. So yeah, again, fringe fringe photography. And earlier we talked about about rock climbing photography. Did you see Free Solo yet? Did I see what? Have you heard of Free Solo, the the documentary about the guy who he he uh, free climbed? Oh, I uh, watched I watched his TED talk. Yeah. I watched his TED talk about it, but I haven't seen the doc. Is it incredible? Yeah, so he free climbs El Capitan, and it, it's pretty stressful to watch. I was on pins and needles the whole time, and I was really impressed by the scale of all of the the work that went into filming that project, where they had where they set cameras up and and some places like they couldn't they couldn't have somebody like they would plan out the entire climb in advance and they couldn't have they couldn't have uh, a you know cameraman working in one place because they're worried that he would um that he would see that cameraman and it would affect him mentally and that it would throw him off his game. So instead they would mount a camera to the to the rock face wall um, preemptively and so he would be recorded on film, you know, climbing through that segment of El Capitan because they're trying to, you know, make sure that he was like in peak mental wellness when he got to a certain point. Because if he was stressed out and he saw, you know, like they were worried that a cameraman would force him to feel like he had to push himself in a way that he normally wouldn't, you know, like, like he wanted to like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yes. get in his head for sure. Yeah. So the, the, the whole movie is not just a documentary about him climbing. It's like the relationship between him and the team, because these are his friends. Like they're people who are like, if they, if they filmed him dying on camera, they're going to have that on their conscience because they were friends with this guy. So it's pretty, uh, it's a pretty intense documentary. I saw it in the theater. So if you get an opportunity to watch it, um, I think it's on Amazon right now. You can rent it, rent it on Amazon prime or something for like five bucks. So check it out. Yeah. I'm definitely going to watch that. I would, uh, I would assume that rock climbing El Capitan would take a lot of technical precision. Yeah. Three hours, three hours. I think it took him to cl- climb the whole thing, like three and a half hours, which it's like, like 3000 feet climb of mostly sheer granite rock face. It's wild. Like, yeah, it blew my mind. <laughs> I'm laughing right now because that was my attempt at a segue. <laughs> which field of photography do you feel is most difficult in terms of technical precision? Technical precision. Yeah, I had my eyes on the prize here. I was still talking about rock climbing. But uh, <laughs> in terms of uh, technical precision, I think, and it's got to be some somewhere on the like high end commercial scale of work, like where you are doing multiple lights. Like I know there's like guys out there like Blair Bunting, who he, I've seen him. He, he shot some stuff for like um, Most Deadliest Catch. And he does like ASU football athletics. Like he does their whole marketing campaign. And and I've seen him, I've seen him just talk about light in terms of like, oh, just your standard 11 light pro photo head setup. Like he's using like 11 pro photo, like D1 heads or whatever. And like, that's very technical. Like the, the amount of light, light, like precision lighting that he's doing, uh, it blows my mind because I don't think of light in those terms. And for him, like, it's like 4D chess and he's got a handle on all of it. So I think that's where I would err on the side of technical precision. What do you think it is? 
Speaking of Blair Bunting, he came to uh, he came to Michigan and he did a presentation for the ASMP and it, it was a free presentation that was sponsored by the ASMP and I want to say there was like twenty people out of it and I got more out of Blair Bunting's presentation than I've gotten for any paid education ever and it spanned like so many different things. I mean, just talking about the career, like the the happenstance, the relationships, the the mental health aspects. I mean, he went so deep on all these different topics and then uh, we went out to eat afterwards and learned more there it's just a killer presentation so if you ever get the chance to see blair bunting man the stories that he has to share are absolutely incredible and i'd encourage you to go see it i've talked to blair um earlier in his career and i know he's done a lot of work since then so i think it'd be nice to open up that line of communication uh with some people i know who are really close to him and see if maybe we could get him on on the podcast someday if, if he'd be open to it I wonder if he'd Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know I talk to him in person a lot, so I don't know how much of that stuff he does and if there's any chance he remembers me, but you know, we had a lot of uh, in-depth conversations too. And so maybe, maybe we'll be able to talk to him, talk him into getting on on here, but I I have to agree. I I think that, I mean, it's hard to like point a niche um, because my mind, when we talked about technical precision went right to like, really high-end product photography mm-hmm. because I, I look at like lighting setups on that and again there's like the level of like precision in terms of light but like the how specific they have to get with the area and the qualities of light especially when you're dealing with different textures such as metal and and papers and glass and labels and then it goes a step further when you get into post-production and cleaning it up but because of laws you know you have to shoot the authentic product like that has to be your starting point so I really think like that and maybe even um, some high-end food photography, like we all know what the Whopper that we get versus the Whopper on the advertisement looks like, like it's so different. And it's really because of ridiculous levels of like technical precision and preparation, both from a food styling standpoint and from a photography standpoint. So any type of like commercial advertising like that, you're also working like one thing that I've learned as I as I go into more editorial photography for publications and stuff, you, you know, with wedding photography, like you have free range in terms of how that image is, is formatted. You don't have to worry about like any type of display issues or anything like that. Um, what I'm learning in like editorial is like, I'll go to take a shot and it's a wonderful concept and it's a wonderful composition. But they're like, oh, your subject's in the gutter. This is going to be a two-page spread. We can't do mm-hmm. that. Oh, there's not enough room for uh, there's not enough room for copy right there, right? So you're always yeah. working within with these added layers of limitation that are um, because of the final goal of the image, which just makes it more difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I came from a graphic design background, so a lot of that stuff has always been in my wheelhouse a bit. So I actually like where I always thought I was going to get into uh, commercial, like advertising was the thing that I really want to get into, and I thought that I like my photography would would meld with that, but. Uh, eventually became weddings but i i that was like the area of interest i had uh that i was greatest mostly interested in i wanted to shoot advertisements and work within the confines of like uh imagery in terms of like a final end case usage like how it was going to look um in a print ad or uh, on a magazine layout so i i like those kind of um those kind of constraints and working within those confines because it's like how I express my creativity the best. So I, I think it is a, a more precise side of the photography world, but I also think there's more like, 
like sports can be pretty technically precise. Like you really got to be dialed into like the more advanced features of the autofocus. Like like some of the autofocus modes in your cameras can um, can can be programmed to work with interruptions in the field of view when you're panning. So like if you've locked into focus on a subject and then another subject interrupted that you know view and then you regain focus on the on the thing you were focusing on. Like there's like there's all these advanced really precise focus mode. So I think like sports can be in that realm too. Plus you're looking at, at like a remote camera capture where like you see like cameras placed next to a, a pocket wizard in a really interesting place and like at a weird vantage point. And so you see a lot of remote camera work going. So there's precise work going there too. And I think I'm trying to think like uh, when I used to work um, for a, there was a missile defense contractor here in Tucson uh, their their uh, photography department did some very technically precise work with where they were setting up remote camera capture to photograph like missile launches and things like that. So, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of like there's a few different technically precise fields of photography. Um, those are probably, yeah. I've always kind yeah. of I've always kind of wondered about like medical photography and and things of that nature, like things that are being photographed for you know jur- not, not journalistic but scientific um, explanations like. The accuracy that's involved with those type of fields has to be through the roof too. So I know I did one. I did a, a leather catalog a long time ago for for a client who distributed leather to Chrysler, and the I was just blown away by like all the details. Like we had to define with this leather, we had to define what an appropriate level of scarring was in the leather, or an appropriate level of uh, mange stain, like all these like weird little intricacies, like we had to make scales in terms of what was acceptable for them to distribute and what wasn't acceptable just to design the contract between, you know, the distributor and and Chrysler. So that was, that was super interesting. And it was, I don't know, really eye opening into like how technical photography could be. Cause at the time I had not done anything else like that. And it was very much a like, Oh, you're a photographer. Can you handle this for us? I'm like, sure. I can photograph leather, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and then we got into it and I was like, oh my gosh, you need like a leather specialized photographer. Like this is, this is, there needs to be a position for this yeah. um, because it was so in depth. So it's kind of, it's kind of cool that there's like all those different levels of niches that uh, you could, you could explore and kind of also complement other interests that you might have. Yeah. And then like you think about the really precise, like catalog work, uh, things where color, color precision comes into play and you got to have x right like the calibration set up for your color that you're getting consistent color image to image that they're accurately represented in the catalog like that stuff i i have no interest in it and and i i get the need for precision in it and i respect it but that's someone else's field of work that can have it yeah that's kind of like the the biggest catch with this discussion that we're having is so much of it is going to depend on your personality like we talked about an introvert being challenged by wedding photography like outside of journalists, but like that's going to affect them more because they're going to be looked at to provide energy. And that's not what that person is, you know, at the core interested in doing. I've always said, I think I feel like my personality worked so well for weddings because I was never, not only am I, am I super comfortable being extrovert, I, I have no, no problem diving in between the two. Like when it comes to entertaining myself, I'm great at being alone, but at the same time, like I really thrive on, on group energies. And for me, though, the thing with weddings is like everybody talked about the stress of like, oh, if you miss it, if you miss this, if you, you know, if this goes wrong, blah, blah, blah. 
And I don't know why it just never affected me. Like I never had any stress about the the grand nature of a wedding or the, you know, the the one chance kind of thing. And I think with that not clicking in my brain, it just made weddings like way easier. And I feel like I could I can do a better job because I'm not thinking with that pressure on my shoulders. Yeah, I found that on wedding day that the more I do this, the more reflexive and instinctual that it becomes. And I'm not so affected by negative stress like I used to be. Uh, the scale of the day doesn't seem so grand anymore. And I feel like I, I've learned a long time ago that if you show visible stress on your on your face and you look like things are getting away from you and that the schedule is running behind, you're constantly looking at your watch and pacing about, you're going to transfer that level of stress onto your clients, to your subjects, and they're not going to feel like the day is going well either. So I've really managed to get a hold of all that. And, and I, I try to look big picture. Like I tell a couple on a wedding day, like if things are getting stressful and, and getting away from them, I let them know like, Hey, uh, there's going to be a party tonight. You're going to sign a piece of paper that says you're married and that's it. Like what's the worst that can really happen? Like, like I try to remind them that, that at the end of all this, there's a party, you're going to eat some cake and you're going to have a party with your friends. You're going to dance. So when you frame it in the, within those within that context, I think it minimizes some of the stress that they carry about like what what about the flowers? What about you know the decorations? What about like they start to lose some of that? What about when you when you wrap it all up into like hey, it's just a party with people who love you? And so that's what I've learned to manage that stress better. I've built I have a lot of lines now to to respond to their fear of of things getting away from them. You know it's a things are going on time or aren't going on time and, and they look at you like, is this okay? And you just say, look, if, if this was on time, it wouldn't be a wedding. Right. Or, yeah. or the wedding, the wedding can't start without you. <laughs> like exactly those type, those type of things, man, like you see their face, they just go like, Oh, this is normal. Like he's at weddings all the time and this is normal. Yeah. Ah, I can finally relax. So that, that goes back to being a psychiatrist as a, yep. as a wedding photographer, you know, you yep. have to be part of that. And I've learned my ideas of what a wedding day are, are just that they're my ideas. So like when I start worrying, like I didn't get portraits of the bride, um, like a million portraits, I didn't get a million portraits of the groom. Like when I start to frame things in that context, it's a losing battle because you have to realize that you could only photograph what's been given to you and presented to you. And you can only photograph what's in front of you. So if things ran late and you, you miss out on some of that stuff, like, you know, if you did a schedule and you covered your butt and all the, all the minutia of the wedding day in your own schedule and they run behind, like, it's just what it is. Like you can only do what's in front of you. So uh, there's no need to like stress out. And like a lot of that's when I realize that I carry the most stress is when I'm like, Oh crap, I didn't get to do these portraits. And so, like, yeah, what they give you is what you shoot. And if you can live with that, then you'll feel better about the final product and you won't transfer all the stress onto your clients. You've used the word minutia twice. And I think previously in other podcasts, and it's one of those things that I think I get the idea of the word. Yeah. It's like all that, all that jazz, but I have no <laughs> idea what that actual literal definition is. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to Google it right now just to make sure that I have been using it correctly because it probably has been. Okay, great. I'm using it exactly. I have a tendency to use words that I contextually thought I knew what they meant for a long time. And it's burned me in the past. Like I actually used the word, uh, the word emasculate because I thought it meant to make more masculine, but it means the opposite. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it means definitely means the opposite. It means to like make, make not masculine in a very like not good way. So, um, 
Oh, great. I'm using minutia correctly. Okay. It's the small, precise, or trivial details of something. So whenever I use that word, that's exactly what I'm talking about. So I'm using it good. Okay, good. That'd be worried for a second. Perfect. Well, all right. I'm glad I got it. All that jazz kind of sums that up pretty well. So that's what I thought. I mean, it sounds like it's weird because it sounds like exactly what it is. So that works for me. Maybe I've okay. heard it before and I just forgot about that word. Yeah, no, I'm always worried, worried I'm going to do something contextually wrong. And then you can feel free to call me out on any of my words. I, I'm happy to Google the definition of any word that I ever use that, that brings about a question like that. So let's uh, let's round this out because we, we've talked a lot about the hardest in a lot of different terms. But at the end of the day, most people are probably looking at photography, if they're that interested, as as a form of income. And what do you think is the hardest genre to break into as a form of primary income? Let's see. As far as like primary income, like toughest, I think like the most secular and like you have to be and it's more geo dependent is you need. I think I think fashion is probably one of the toughest forms to break into for primary income. Like you need to be connected in that industry and you should probably live in like L.A. or New York City. So I, I think that's probably the hardest one to get into. What do you think? I think it's going to be landscape photography. Really? Yeah, I think landscape would be more difficult to get into it and get to a level where it could be your primary form of income uh, is, is going to be more difficult than, than fashion photography. Because even if you like, okay, in, in fashion, you get to a point, you could move to New York and LA and make it there. You could exist in smaller markets and kind of do it. And you can kind of move the lines, uh, you know, it, it, there's so many different levels to fashion photography, even here in Detroit, where it's not a Mecca. I feel like I could get to a level um, between brands and and people and connections that I could succeed in that industry here, at least to the point where I could survive monthly. But I don't think I could do that landscape like a it's highly dependent on either a traveling frequently or B uh, being in a really beautiful place. Like there's some people who, you know, can be right outside, say, Bryce Canyon or right outside Lake Superior and they can see the, uh, the Northern lights all the time. Like those type of people like have that location, but that uh, it's also greatly limiting to like stay in that same place. So I, I have to think that that's going to be the biggest because there's, there's only so many levels. I mean, there's kind of the whole, what do you even call them? Like art fair style where like, you know, you go out to these art fairs and and you sell your work there. Yeah, you can represent yourself online a little bit, but as soon as you start doing that, people have the choice between everybody else online. Um, and and then there's like the extremely high level that we already discussed. You know, the 0.01% that are making it in terms of for publication editorial landscape work. But I don't know. I just feel like the world is so photographed in terms of like a hobby that there's not much new. Like you pick a spot in the world, I can find you a sunny, a stormy, a, you know, a great landscape and many different things, especially if it's a Mecca. Whereas fashion at least has the benefit of being ever evolving and and needing that uh, that new fresh requirement of photos, right? Yeah. I don't know. So that, that'd be my guess. And I can't tell you like one professional landscape photographer. And I can name a few in that are actually... Uh, succeeding in fashion, but yeah. I, I can't, I don't have a personal connection to anybody who is 100% at least a landscape photographer. Well, shit, there you have it. Uh, argument over landscape photography. <laughs> it is um, actually, I do know a professional landscape photographer, but his, his work 
delves into like nightscapes. He does a lot of like uh, Milky Way photos out here in the desert. And his name is Sean Parker. And he's like the most successful landscape photographer I know. And his work's been picked up by LG. He's been, he's done uh, Aurora Borealis type photography in Iceland. And his work got displayed on like six, like an array of like 16 4K TVs. Like he was doing like, he was doing like, like 16 camera arrays with A7 uh, S2s shooting time lapses of the Aurora Borealis uh, for wow. use of on like a LG, like huge TV walls. It was a major display. He got to meet the president of LG and he goes up to um, to Iceland pretty often. So he's like, the, like I know a successful landscape photography, but I, I do consider his work very niche. And he's like, you know, the 0.001% of like professional landscape photographers making it in this industry. Uh, he, he found his niche. So um, yeah, I think I have to agree with you then. Yeah, landscape, because I can't imagine there is anybody in Kansas who's making a full-time living shooting landscape in Kansas or Nebraska. So it is very geolocation dependent more so than uh, than uh, fashion. Well, let's be real. No one's doing, yeah, no one's doing fashion there either. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, like, that, I think that'd be pretty funny to like, if you could like make a niche like if you could start up a whole culture of fashion and landscape photography in places where it isn't likely. So like if you could like Pocatello, Idaho and, and start like the fashion industry there. That would, yeah, that would be awesome. You just like some grassroots kind of movement to develop an industry and build a portfolio in. That'd be, yeah. Be pretty unique. Yeah. So then um, what I mean, that kind of that, that whole discussion in terms of like that we just had in terms of like where you're at. I mean, that's, that's kind of the other context here. So when you when that person asked, I think this is why we were both like, well, this is a dumb question, mm-hmm. is because what is, what hardest are we talking about, right? Yeah. What are we talking about money? Are we talking about physical effort, stress, those things? And then that's going to be dependent on the person, right? Some people are going to respond to making money in a different way than they're going to handle physical stress. And then on top of that, you've got market and relationships that both of those things are going to kind of guide the conversation as well. Mm-hmm. So this is this is something with infinite depth and you really have to like look at how you respond to things as a person, what's available to you based on where you're located and also like the relationships you have. So if you're if you're kind of exploring photography, you might want to take a look at like not only yourself as a person but your circumstances surrounding you to determine What's even going to be a reality for you to explore? Yeah, I like that we took what initially started like, that's a really stupid question. And we we're like, let's make it an entire podcast episode topic. <laughs> uh, so in, in the end, it actually ended up not being a stupid question. It just meant that there was a lot more to unpack. So I, I'm glad we uh, we took a stab at it. But w- OK, so we talked about what's the hardest genre to break into for primary income. Then that begs the question, what's the easiest? What do you think is the easiest? I'm going to say, I think that the, e- okay, so this is again, depending on your relationships. So when I was in my early twenties, I found weddings really easy to break into because I knew a lot of people of that age group that were finally getting married. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're on like the young end of it. And then you've got it for a while because people get married at all different ages. And by then you've built up that group. But if I was, you know, 31, when I started photography, um, and I had kids, that's probably where I'm starting. I'm starting in whatever is surrounding me the most if I'm purely looking to like make it in terms of income. Um, I think you got to base it on your circumstances. So um, yeah, 
that that would be me. And like, if I, I'm trying to think of like another situation, like say I'm involved in some type of like school program or like influencing that is based around fashion and I'm doing a lot of, and I have access to a lot of people who are interested in it. That's probably where I'm going, right? If I'm in New York at a school of fashion and I just decide to pick up a camera, that's probably the direction I'm going. You got to really mm-hmm. analyze your situation, which is usually is usually usually just using photography as an extension of your your other interests in life. Yeah, I'm gonna have to agree with you. I'm gonna have to agree with you. I think uh, wedding photography is very. I think it's the easiest uh, to land into a full time job if you can. If you position yourself correctly, if you have a good business plan, like obviously both of us didn't have that. We talked, we had a whole episode about getting into your career as a wedding photographer. But I think, I think the reason it's so easy because just look around, look around your local market, like go on to every time I go on to uh, the knot or wedding wire, I'm seeing new photographers in my market who had no idea they existed. And there's varying degrees of service level. Like you have people who do like $500 weddings. And they are probably really busy, but they're they're carving out a niche for themselves. And you know, hopefully those people figure out they're they're just giving away the work for literally nothing. But I think there's varying degrees of entry points in our industry and grow and room to grow. And I think eventually we'll you know, those people will burn out and they'll probably leave the industry unless they figure like realize some great success in it because they're going to realize eventually how hard it is. But yeah, I think I think wedding photography, even though it's the hardest genre of like physical effort and and big picture, like how how a whole day looks and all the planning that goes into it. But I think it's the easiest one to make primary income from because the um, availability of the market is there. Like there's so many people look are getting married and actually during a recession, people still get married. So, you know, I think I wouldn't say it's recession proof, but I think it's one of those one of the industries in photography that that doesn't suffer as much as others. Even maybe people taper their spending, spending still, but I think there's still a a marketplace for you to, to give those services, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think anything that you look at as a necessity is a great place to start, you know, kids, photos, wedding photos, senior pictures, all of those things are, are almost like a necessity or rite of passage in life and, and will most likely never stop existing. So when there's a demand for it, then you know it's there. So yeah. start by and, looking and analyzing on on what the demand is. Analyze what you have access to, what uh, both in your geography, both in your personal relationships. All of that is gonna is gonna weigh into what's gonna be the easiest for you to access if you're looking for money. But most importantly, remember to keep it something that you're genuinely interested in because you want this to be sustainable long-term. And if you just go after the money side of it, then trust me, you're never going to be able to to go through all the rough patches and and come out on top. So you really want to define it based on your current interests. Yeah. And weddings travel well, like weddings, portraits, families, like that stuff travels well. If you're, if you see yourself moving or relocating someday, you, you could, you could do that. That's a, non-geo look geo dependent like you can be anywhere in the country and be able to offer those services so uh that's probably why they're easier easier to break into to make primary income off of cool well so that is the uh the long answer to the hardest genre of photography so we hope you guys found something really insightful in there and can really have a good way of analyzing your current situation and what type of industry would work best for you right on man good talking to you have a good one Take it easy. Peace.